All right, here we are. Here we are. Science in between. Welcome, Welcome back. back. Yeah, look Rah. at us. Yes. Yes. 51. This is episode 51. It is one shy of a year, Scott. Our penultimate episode. It is the penultimate <laughs> episode of, uh, is that, we, we're going to call of that season, season one? one? I think season it one? has to be. I think, yeah, I sure. think the joy of, of having a season two is going to be, you know, a joy. So, it is a joy. You know, so we'll get to say, yeah, this is episode one of season two. That will be very cool. That will be yeah. very cool. And I got nothing. No, like, uh, nothing about 51. Like, no numerical wittiness. No. no. Well, <clears throat> so here's a, this is sort of a numerical wittiness. Not really. It's a numerical question, though. So is, 50, is episode 52 the last episode of season one Ooh. or the first episode of season two? And if it's the last episode of season one, like, this is like, the you know it's a tricky thing because it is a tricky one because that means that is it correct to say no no then then we're good no we're so so it should be it should be that 52 is the last episode of season one yep i'm with you i think 51 go ahead 51 is one of those numbers where i think people think that it's a a prime i think they think but they forget about 17 you know (laughs) And so many people forget about 17. 17 times three. You know, it's right there. Yeah. It's and it, right they, there. It's right it's there. Right there. It's right there. And it's also the trick you can do with by adding the numbers together, like five and one. And if it adds up to six, right? There you go. And if that number is divis- divisible by three, then the number is divisible by three. So that's oh, that. Yeah. I'm sure you knew yeah. that, right? Yeah. yeah. But but so you said you didn't have anything numerical to say. And then look at all you just. I just waxed poetic about 51. Look at me. You drop some knowledge on people like a, that 51 isn't prime B that it's 13, uh, 17 times three. And that you can add up the digits and uh, know whether it's divisible by three. Just like that. Dropping some knowledge. That's what we do here in science in between. All right. So what are we talking about today, Scott? Um, I think what we're talking about today, Ollie, is I don't think we actually introduced ourselves. So, so you're Ollie. I'm Scott. He's Scott, and I'm Ollie. Yeah, <laughs> it's almost the same thing. Yes. Um, uh, I think what we're going to continue talking about is um, this whole phenomenon-based teaching thing, and specifically, you know, last time we tried to talk a little bit about the difference between a phenomenon and a topic, and I don't know if we quite got to all of the uh, all of that. But we we got a good start on it. And so we thought today maybe what we do is start to talk about uh, a little bit about how that looks across, um, you know, different grade levels. Like, what does it look to to do that kind of teaching? And specifically, I think we'll probably talk about like starting um, a unit. And then um, and then the other thing that we thought we might talk about is like, well, why why do this and why do we care and why is this thing? Right. Right. And, and doing some comparing and contrasting of what this looks like in comparison to like traditional, you know, science teaching, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think <clears throat> the same thing, um, you know, is true is often true about a lot of this stuff. And we did talk about this last episode is that if you're, if you don't think hard about it and you don't dig deep into it a little bit, it can mm-hmm. seem very similar. Yeah, like I like, do that. Okay. We're just doing the same thing. Yeah. I do. I do that already. You do what? You don't. No, dig that's, deep? Uh, I, no I'm saying that's what oh. a science teacher would say. You know, it's yeah, like yeah. it's to what? What is it like? The the is it the fish book? What's the fish book to you know everything to yeah. them? Everything's a fish, right? Yeah, it's like right. you know. Yeah, and, I love that book. Yeah, it's uh, Leo Leone. Uh, fish is fish, right? And so when when you present something that's completely radically different, it's it's still a fish. It's like, well, this is this is the thing. Yeah. Yeah, so the uh, the um, the picture book, it's a children's picture book, um, again, by Leo Leone. We'll put it in show notes. It's a great book. I, I, I used it for years in my science methods classes because I was making exactly that point about stuff, right? Um, but, you know, the, the idea is there's a frog up on land and he sticks his head into the water and he's explaining stuff to the fish. 
So I think we're the, in this story, in this analogy, you and I are the frogs, right? Or maybe I'm the frog and you're the fish. Is that what you're saying? You're, I, you're I Socrates. If, like, I'm not quite a fish. I don't know. No. Maybe, maybe I'm a toad. Maybe we're frog and toad. Frog and toad. <laughs> Since All we're right. like leading into, you know, children's stories, maybe that's frog and toad. Okay. Frog and toad, you know? Yeah, the but frog. I think toads toads mostly live just on land, right? And frogs are sort of the amphibians. So you're saying you're, I don't know. Uh, I think we're getting lost yeah, in the analogy now. We are. So. But the point is, for, <laughs> yeah, right. Down a rabbit hole for us. What a that day. never happens. Never yeah. happens. Um, but the point is that the frog is trying to describe like a cow to this fish. And what the fish sees in its in its mind's eye is a fish with like udders and you know, horns. Yeah. So <clears throat> that aptly describes this issue of, um, yeah, I do that already. Like right. I'm, I'm, I do phenomenon based teaching because I ask kids to, you know, think about applications of what they learn. Like, well, yeah. Okay. No. So there, that's not really what we're talking about. We're not talking about a fish with horns. We're talking about a cow. So, um, so, so maybe the place we could start Scott, <clears throat> is, is, so why, why should a science teacher be motivated to do this? Like, why should they change their instruction to, to focus more on phenomenon and using that as, as an anchor to teach stuff and to foster conversations in the classroom? So why? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's, that is the fundamental question. And I'll give you an answer that isn't <clears throat> the answer that, you know, like, oh, it's part of the NGSS or, any, you know, the, but I'll give you like the, the, I think the, more philosophical or uh, fundamentally principled reason for doing this, right? Which is that this is what science is. Like if you want kids to learn science, science is about explaining phenomena in the natural world. It's not about memorizing facts. It's not about doing multiple problems that are basically identical with slight changes in their in the angle of the cannon, if we're doing projectile motion problems, right? Like science fundamentally is about finding things in the world that we don't understand and trying to understand them and explain them. And so if we want kids to understand what science is, not just to remember a bunch of science facts, but to actually know what science is and do science and, and understand science as a practice, as a thing that is actively done in the world by people, you have to engage them in those practices. You have to let them do it in the same way that we do with everything else, right? You know, when we talk about riding bicycles and we talk about learning to talk or we talk about whatever else, like outside of school stuff. And we've talked about that before. Like you talked about riding bicycles specifically. But when we talk about those things, we don't say like, well, why are you doing it that way? Like, it's just, that's that's natural. It's natural to engage the kid in the practice to help them right. learn the practice. But then we get to school and we're like, well, instead of having them actually do science, why don't we just have them memorize all the stuff other people have done about science? And then we think that that's teaching. So I think that's really it. I mean, fundamentally it is, we want kids to have the experience of explaining something in a way that they understand and that helps them understand the world better. I mean, that's a that's a pretty admirable goal, and it's a good feeling, right? Like people like to feel like they can explain stuff, right? I think the 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 thing that as I'm hearing you talk about this, I I think that we have to model what we're trying to do in terms of the practice of of, of science, and actually by the science by doing science, not by learning facts and figures. But I mean, we would we when we're in art classes right kids make art right and they learn art through making art when they're in music class they learn music by making music by doing music and 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 i think that we have to sort of like embody that too we have to say okay science is about doing science and not just learning not that just be, being able to you know talk about taxonomy or like you know parts of the cell i mean those things are important um but i think that the way we get to those is different right and not not that the kids in art class aren't learning about art processes and art and mechanics of art and famous art people and all that it's just that you know they do it through the process of making art and Mm -hmm. same thing with music right and and i think that that's what we you know 
have to sort of lean into. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And, and I think, um, you know, and, and going back to this point about, well, people are going to say we already do this. I mean, people will say, you'll hear the science teachers now, you know, we need to name our science teacher, like the, the science, the science grumbler or yeah. whatever. And he's like, harumph. Rump. Like, uh, <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> uh, you know, I do that. I do labs with my kids. My kids do labs and we do, we have even have a long period for doing labs. So we do labs and, and they collect data and they analyze that data and they, and they, you know, they're doing science and harumph. it's like harumph. So speech over by harumph guy. Um, but, uh, but you know, that that's exactly the problem is that that isn't science. Like that's not yeah. what scientists do. They don't like go and collect data about a known problem and then, follow a set of pre-established procedures to and analyze they, it and then and then and yeah. they come up and, with reasons why it didn't work <laughs> yeah right explain explain why it is that momentum is actually conserved even though and, none of the data supports that right yeah, yeah. that's exactly right. Right. energy should be conserved here and we don't have it and here's all the reasons why come up with yeah. reasons why and, yeah. and it's usually like I'm a dummy and I did it wrong right well, it's I, like, I, okay, didn't, well, I, I didn't use the stopwatch correctly yeah like okay so yeah so that that stuff is not um science that stuff is school science right which is its own thing and uh and it it doesn't in the same way that you know a lot of teachers will say oh well i have kids explain things so at the end of the unit we always have like a an extension where they do applications of their knowledge and i give them something to explain yeah and and even then, um, usually what that means is some sort of short answer thing um, out of a you know, uh, out of a textbook or whatever, right? It's not it's not a deep and uh, and thoughtful explanation of a phenomenon. It's just sort of like, okay, well, you can apply PV equals NRT to this thing, and right. so I'm going to apply it there. Um, so um, so yeah, I think I think that's the fundamental reason for doing this is, you know, that we, we have to retrain ourselves to think of science as a process that you're learning rather than a body of facts. And I guess we keep saying that over and over again. So, but, but it's very hard. It's very hard for us as science teachers to make that switch because we do, we, especially secondary teachers, right? Like we went into science teaching because we think science is cool and interesting. And, and, and what we think is that that means knowing all these facts is cool and interesting. Um, and in some cases, that's what teachers actually think. Like, it's almost like trivia night, right? It's like, it's cool to know, like yeah. I can name the atomic weight of helium or whatever, you know, and um, that that's just knowing all those facts is useful. But I think what we have to recognize is I, I believe that our purpose in teaching science is so that kids not only can understand the world, but can feel empowered with the idea that, that it is possible to explain the world and that they can do it um, and that they don't have to like just memorize other people's explanations to things that they can actually try, try and understand things. And this goes to a lot of the you know, the current problems that we have around science and people not believing in science and not, you know, because, because they think science is a set body of facts. That's always right. Rather than a process for investigating real phenomenon, right. it causes all sorts of problems. Well, and then, and we're, and we're living in it right now. Right. Is yeah, that's that what I'm saying. We have, yeah. Right. I know. Is, is that, you know, we were, you know, the CDC just changed some, some of the guidelines and it's like, well, the CDC doesn't know what they're doing. This is what, you know, that the naysayers are like, they keep changing their, their, their tune. They keep changing their mandates. They keep changing, you know, the recommendations. And it's like, well, no, no, they, that that's what they're supposed to do because when you get new information, you're going to change it. And like, it was like, well, just last week they said, we didn't have to do this. Now we're doing this. And it's like, well, we have new information that's going to, you know, change our perceptions and our understandings of things. And it's like, it's, yeah. And and I think that it comes down to people not understanding science and what science yeah. does. And I think the, the other part about this that we haven't really touched upon, and maybe this is going back a ways, is to, you know, to, to Brian Brown, is that, you know, I think that this, this form of teaching also can provide new opportunities for 
different participants in science, mm-hmm. right? I mean, right. it's a it's a sort of like a more equitable way of of possibly teaching science and is opening mm-hmm. up, you know, science to new people because I mean, what we've there's there's that access right the access of like if if it becomes trivia then it's you know when somebody it's like people who have had some sort of like you know preparation or you know mm-hmm. may, may have a you know a better starting point or a different starting point sure. right and and this changing it to okay we're gonna like investigate this phenomenon and we're gonna you know talk about it um, that that sort of puts us all on maybe a little bit more of an equal footing and gives people, you know, a voice and. Yeah. Yeah, no, it shifts, it shifts the idea of um, science class being about getting right answers and, and yeah. right answers means that there's only one, right. Right. As opposed to we as a community are trying to build an explanation and an understanding of this phenomenon as a group and everybody's ideas are valuable. And the reason they're valuable isn't because they're all right. It's because they're all different. And that, that, that ecology, that diversity of ideas is incredibly valuable for science because that's how you figure stuff out is because you don't know the right answers in science. And so you have to have lots of different ideas so that you can test all these different ideas. Yeah. And the more perspectives you have, the more backgrounds, people, uh, experiences people bring to this, the more diversity you get in those ideas. And, and that is, you know, unimpeachably good for quality science, like more ideas is good. And then what your job is, is to figure out which of those ideas are productive and helpful in understanding the phenomenon and which ones aren't. And that's not a judgment on the people whose idea it was. It's a judgment against nature, against the the empirical testing of those ideas. So, so it not only says all kids ideas are valuable, but it also, to some degree, if it's managed well, um, takes away the idea that kids ideas are wrong. Right. So you're not judging kids for their ideas, which, you know, another thing we can call back to the IRE stuff. Um, you know, we talked about it in the context of Jay Lemke's work. Yeah. Right. Which is, you know, like all of that IRE, the E is evaluate. All of that is the teacher evaluating kids ideas. And so every third turn of talk is the teacher telling a kid whether they're right or wrong or not. And if you're doing that constantly every day, all day, pretty soon kids learn <laughs> that really what this is about is, is my idea right or wrong? Not my idea is valuable because I'm, because I have, you know, I'm part of this community and we're trying to generate ideas. And so I, 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 I keep taking this, you call it the Socrates role here, but uh, I want to just make sure we clarify something. It's, it's not that all the kids opinions are valuable or their explanations are valuable, but what we're trying to do is create a, a situation in which all of those ideas and opinions can be investigated right and that they're sort of entering it into sort of a forum of ideas right where then we you know practice science to investigate that because i mm-hmm. i worry a little bit that you know some listener and i don't think this is our audience but some listener would go well i mean that's the problem with you know the discourse right now is that everybody has an opinion that they think is valuable mm-hmm. and like you know we have this you know on on everything on everything right everybody yes. has an opinion and they feel like, you know, their, uh, you know, their opinion, regardless of how informed or not, um, is, well, this is what I, I believe, I, I, you know, show me the evidence that the world is not flat. And it's like, well, hold on, that's pretty established science, right? Yeah, and, right. Uh, but, you know, but that's not what you're saying. You're not saying that, you know, everyone's opinions on things are equal, have equal footing. It's that they all get put into a form of, of conversation of investigation of you know and that we use the processes of science to tease that out yeah Am I, that's exactly I'm, right okay. yeah so so yeah it's not that every idea is equally valuable it's that many ideas is more valuable than fewer ideas but then the next step in the process is winnowing those ideas down to the productive useful and empirically tested ones right and so right. we're not talking about opinions we're talking about things that can be measured against something in a meaningful way 
Um, and that's why we collect data in science. And that's why we do all these other things. And we don't just sit around thinking up ideas, right? So that's the difference, I think, between like a scientific community and, and what you're describing, sort of the internet troll community, right? right? Which is like, just having an idea is good enough. Well, no, it's not. It's the first step in the process. Um, but the, the problem is like in these um, environments where everybody thinks their opinion is equally valuable, one of the values that's not there is that empirical testability. Well, can we test yeah. your idea in a meaningful way? Like your, your theory about people haven't landed on the moon or the earth is flat or whatever it is, right? That vaccines are really um, the government microchipping us. Like, well, or, okay. Or turning us into magnets, turning us right. into magnets. Yeah. yeah. So, so, you know, those ideas that on some level, there's no ideas there's nothing wrong with those ideas initially, but then you have to say, well, what, what kind of evidence do we have for this? And, and that's where the things fall apart or turn into, well, my evidence is some other kook said it's true. And it's like, well, that, that's not evidence. That's just more people that are, you know, that have the same opinion as you. So, um, so I think this idea that what empirical testability means. Yeah. And I think that's what, what is important there is it establishes what, we mean by research, right? When we research or investigate something, it isn't about, you know, Googling, right? I mean, right. That, that's the challenge with the IRE, you know, form of, of conversations in classrooms, right? Is that we communicate that there is, there, there is a right answer, right? And that yes. right answer has got to come from like the big book of knowledge. Yes. But then when we're thrust into a place where science is happening in real time, like right now, then, then the, the assumption is that if we just go to the big book, whatever the big book is, right? And then mm-hmm. Google is probably the access point to the big book that we're going to find the right answer for this. And that's where, you know, we get into trouble because yep. we're learning science as we're living it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so right now we're in the thick of some pretty big scientific things, climate change, you know, virology, you know, and uh, yeah, it's, it's huge. We're living it. And what yeah. we're seeing is sort of like the, um, the outcomes of teaching science for generations of it being fact-based or it being mm-hmm. a, you know, that there are right answers because we don't have right answers. And I will say this in, in a lot of ways is what some, not to go too much down this rabbit hole, but I listened to a podcast this week that talked about, um, it was uh, about uh, constitutional law. And one mm-hmm. of the things that was in it, in this um, constitutional law podcast was about in 1906, there was a, uh, a Supreme Court decision about vaccines. And I was thinking about like how little science we knew in 1906, right? Like how little, like I mean, so much has happened in the last 115 years. But in 1906, they made, you know, the Supreme Court made a decision about this. And, and, and I just was thinking, okay, the scientific understanding that we have now should give us more you know, more sort of acceptance, more comfort in it. And in, in, and then I, I wondered a little bit about like how we got here when that's not really the case, right? Because it was then at least some higher power decided this in Supreme Court and almost a unanimous decision that said that, you know what, vaccines are okay. It's okay for a government to say that. And you I don't have mean to be to get, vaccinated. Yeah. You have to be vaccinated. And I'm not, this isn't a, uh, this isn't a political conversation for me. It's a scientific and historical <clears throat> one. Right. right. And so I'm not like trying to like, you know, pit Democrats, Republicans, blah, blah. The fact that this is a, it's a historical and scientific conversation because I go 115 years, we've learned a lot of science that we've had a lot of advancement in our tools and our technologies and just that, you know, our explanations. I mean, like think about in 1906, where we were in ter- terms of our uh, understanding of the atom, right? You know, and and where we've come from that and, you know, the understanding has not necessarily made us more of a knowledgeable community and as a as, a, you know, as a society, you know. Yeah, well, I, and I think that, yeah, I think that's true. And I think part of that is that the way that science has evolved since 1906 through schools is that it is this body of knowledge that is sort of not a process 
It's knowing a set of facts and that right. those facts are sort of stable over time. And therefore, you know, we, we know what we know. And, <clears throat> you know, the idea that we aren't thinking about science as a process is, a, is an indicator of even though we have so much more scientific knowledge now than we did. I mean, in fairness, what gets taught in school hasn't changed that much. I mean, from 1906, probably, yes. But, but you know, the, the science makes it way slowly into the... Uh, not in physics. We, the physics yeah. we teach in high school, right, has, that was all established stuff before 1906. May, yeah. In chemistry, I would say, in biology, absolutely, that yeah. has changed, you know. Yeah. Um, in earth science, I think, to a degree, too. Um, yeah, so, certainly in earth science, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I think um, I think that is that is a, another symptom of of the idea that um, science isn't a process and it isn't about, you know, if, if we talk about empirical testability, you know, it's like, OK, how many people have had the vaccine and what what is the impact on, on the health of those people? Like we have a lot of data about that. Like yeah. this is not this is not an unknown thing. Right. It's not like, oh, I wonder if the vaccine is safe. Like we have literally millions hundreds of millions of people who have had this vaccine and um or one of these vaccines so if we really say like okay let's talk about the data let's talk about the empirical testability of these ideas then that's a very different conversation but that's not the conversation that we're having like it's not about um the processes of science it's about facts and and facts i'm using ear quotes yes right Right. So it's like, well, I get, I, I get to see the air quotes that the, the yeah. listeners do not. I get to see the full right. air yes, quote. Thank you. Demonstration. So, right. yeah. So it's like, yeah, we don't, I have my facts that I got from this person I watch <laughs> on YouTube and you've got your facts, which are all this data about what happens. And those are this, uh, what actually happened with, with vaccine. And, and those are on equal footing for some people. And that's, right. that's where the breaks down in terms of, what's the process that we're talking about here right and i I think that's that's why i wanted to clarify that just circling back to why we had we started i opened up that you know can of worms there is that you know we want to create an environment in our classrooms where people share ideas but that we also put those ideas to the test through, you know, creating some sort of empirical process where we can bring to, to, to really demonstrate what science, you know, does. And so the students have a better understanding. And so a better appreciation of how do we get to, and I think that will teach them about like when we're in these moments, like now, why things change because new evidence changes and new, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, and so it's, it's really teaching them, um, and preparing them for moments like now, right? Yeah. Which is so. So let me um, present it from a, a different pr- perspective, or, or think about this from a different way. Like, so what does this look like? So if I were to walk into, I don't know, an el- elementary classroom, you know, where, where, what, what would this look like, and how would we do this? And, um, and then if if you were starting as a teacher if like if someone's a start, science teacher out there and they're starting this and i think we talked about this a little last week is like you know do i just throw everything out the window and do move to phenomenon based um teaching across the boards yeah and there's a yeah, lot there yeah there's a lot there um but let's yeah let's take a, a step back and say like what does this look like? Cause I think that's a good, that's a sensible place to, to try and ground this in some Thanks. reality. Thanks. Yeah. I, I try to offer some sensible stuff. Well, <laughs> I mean, let's not go overboard. Okay. Sorry. This on this one occasion, you managed to say something uh, sensible. So let's that, not, I mean, that may be my joy today. <laughs> I, we would have to go back and actually listen to episodes and collect data about how many sensible things you said before we could make a generalization about how sensible you are. We, we don't need to do that. We, we don't need to do that. No, that. That would not be sensible. Um, okay. So, um, I mean, <clears throat> one of the things, okay. So what would this generally look like? I mean, I think actually it doesn't look that different across grade levels. I think, um, I think the big difference is that as you move up in grade, you just have more time to do this, right? So in elementary school, a lot of a lot of schools teach little or no science, but if they do teach science, it's usually only a couple of days a week for a short chunk of time. So, um, but even then, I mean, I think what what we're fundamentally talking about 
is setting up these phenomenon and getting students to talk through ideas about them. And then the teacher supports them. So, I mean, if we can, <clears throat> if we can talk, I'll, I'll try to make this specific and I'll use the middle school because I work with those folks a lot and I've seen a lot of that teaching there. And it's also sort of bridges so you can understand how it might work in elementary school and how it might work in a in a high school or secondary school. Um, so, you know, one of the first things you do in the in, with this phenomenon-based teaching is you get students to write their own initial explanation. So you give them the thing that you want them to explain, and then you give them time, usually in groups, to write an explanation for that or talk through, you know, if they're younger elementary kids, it may be more talking and maybe the teacher is recording and the kids are talking through their ideas. Um, but and that and that's another advantage to it is that it doesn't require that that the kids necessarily have the skill and the the vocabulary and the capacity to write all this stuff down. You can you can have other people be the scribe for it, but but the but the initial purpose is to get them to express their own ideas. And I think one of the hard things about this at this point in the curriculum, this initial like doing of getting kids initial ideas and models out is there is an initial instinct to try and correct kids language. Right. And this goes to Brian Brown's work right. as well. Right. So this idea that you really want that initial explanation to be in their own words. And if they use fancy science words, whatever those might be, what, what we tend to do is say, don't use that word. Like, tell me what you mean, but don't say energy because you don't know really what energy means, frankly. So I, I don't want you to say energy because you're, you're uh, they have a saying in the middle school where I work with that there are no synonyms in science. So energy doesn't mean everything you want it to mean. It means something very specific. And so if you're, if you don't know that specific meaning and how it applies to this context, let's not worry about that. Let's just have you describe what you mean. So when you say energy, what do you mean? Well, I mean, the thing's really hot. Oh, okay. Well, what does hot mean? Well, okay. And then, yeah. but, but getting them to use their own language, <clears throat> then, you know, what they're saying, they're not using that. They're not using some science term to sort of obfuscate their you know, to pretend that they know what's up, right? right? Oh, it's it's the energy. And it's and then the teacher says, yes, you're right, it is the energy. And then we carry on not recognizing that, of course, the kid doesn't know what energy is and certainly didn't know what it means in this context. And they just picked up that word someplace and they knew yeah. it was the right answer without really knowing what that That's is. Right. They know yeah. it's a good fancy science word and they know if they say it in class, they'll sound smart. And the teacher will probably say, yes, nice job. Um, and they, you know, they, they watch Discovery Channel or their parents took them to a science museum or they, you know, whatever, who, who knows where it came from. I mean, these days, it's because they watch probably some YouTube uh, sure. Veritasium video or something about, oh, look, here's, here, let me explain something to you. So, yeah. So, yeah, but I think that that's one of the hard things in this in, initial process. One is letting kids explain things in their own language. And two letting them have ideas that are not normative are not correct or not, you know, canonical science. It's very hard. I, I see it at most in my pre-service teachers, but I think in-service teachers struggle with this too, to, to have a kid say something that is their idea, but isn't correct. Um, I, I hesitate even to say that word, but that isn't, you know, isn't the normative science um, you want to correct them. And you think that because they've said it out loud, now everybody's going to believe it. And now everybody's and you to, confused. You need to bed that down. You need to bed yeah. it down. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you don't, everybody's going to believe it. And then pretty soon everybody's going to think, you know, gravity makes things fly up instead of down. Right. right. And so I think that that is really hard for people to um, to let go of. And, I, and I've not found an easy way to, to convince folks, you know, you just have to see it evolve. But, um, but the, the argument there is like kids are much more likely to believe a new idea that they've had based on experience and evidence and, and talking with each other than you just telling them that their idea is wrong, right? Because they, they, 
you know, people believe their ideas. And this is another problem that we have is that people just believe their ideas without testing them. And so part of the point is like, yeah, have, have that idea and then let's test. It. So, so do you, are there, and then I, I think this, your, your last statement just answered the question I was going to, I was going to ask, but um, do you put, um, if, a, if a teacher was using this or doing this at the beginning stages of a, of a unit or, or a lesson, um, should the teacher put some sort of like boundaries on the ideas or the, or the things that the students throw out or the explanations they put out? And I think that the, the answer that you just gave in terms of that, it's got to be something that's testable, right? Like if they can't say, you know, it's magic, right? right. <laughs> that, that, yeah. Like, okay. That's not really testable or right. it's like something like, I don't know. And, and you know, an aliens making that happen, right? Well, an, invi- an invisible, you know, invisible beings are like, you know, are yes. making that like munchkins or something. I don't know. I'm just, right. you know, yeah, yeah. but but those things are not testable. So there are some boundaries to this in terms of how, you know, students, the, the kinds of explanations that students can bring to the, to, to the forum. Yeah. And, and part of that happens um, just organically as you talk with the kids and kids will, kids will do that for each other too. Like say, oh, well, you know, that's, that's not an explanation. Like you can't say it's magic. Like it's not Harry Potter. Like that's not how right. this works. Um but yeah, I think that's right that there are bounds that you're trying to get them to explain. And and a lot of that comes from like, <clears throat> and you could, I, I, I've never actually tried to do this, but I imagine you could do that even with magic, like to, to push on them to say, well, describe what's actually happening. <clears throat> even if you think it's magic, like explain how that's happening to me uh, on a, on a more uh, like on a smaller grain size on a physical, in a physical way, like what's actually happening. Um, and it probably, I mean, magic is a, a stretch, but, um, but I think that is part of what you're doing is, is in those initial stages, like we talk about pressing and probing kids ideas, right? Is you're, you're trying to get them to be super clear about what they mean. And I want to be careful. The, the outcome of that, again, is not to get them to the right answer. The outcome is to get them to be clear about their idea and make sure that they're stating it. In, a, in an empirically testable way, right? In a way, as you're, as you're describing, right? right? So those are the key features of like why you're pressing and probing. You're not pressing and probing to try and guide them to the right answer. You're pressing and probing to make them clearly articulate their idea as descriptively as possible and in a way that other people can then use evidence to test that idea. So... So what happens next? So after that, you know, we, we generate all these ideas, right? And the students have thrown this into the, you know, this, the classroom forum. What do we do next as a teacher? Yeah, right. So, I mean, basically the purpose of all that initial stuff or all that work is to develop these initial explanations. And those initial explanations, we try to make public. So usually they're done on some sort of whiteboard or something like that. Um, but they can be done, you know, I've seen it done with Google Docs, I've seen it done in lots of ways. But the idea is that you get these explanations uh, articulated and out in the public so everybody can see them. And then what a teacher does is organizes a series of experiences for kids in class where they get to do something that helps them understand some aspect of this phenomenon. So they can start to sort of take apart the pieces of it and understand the smaller parts of that explanation. So you're basically creating a sequence or some people talk about it as a storyline or whatever, right? I mean, storyline worries me a little because it sounds like it's a story. And when you start talking about a story, then somebody's usually telling it and that's usually the teacher. And there's the, and the defined beginning, defined end, right? Right. Yeah. It has that, that vibe to it. So I I think storyline I understand why people use it, but I think it can give people the wrong impression. But, you know, like usually there is a, well, always there is a sequence of experiences. So I'll give you one example in uh, as a sense of this, right? So one of the phenomenon we talked about before was this happy, sad ball, right? So you drop two balls, one bounces, one doesn't bounce. It just sort of thuds. And, and so you're trying to explain this. Well, one of the first things that they do after that is they do an investigation of uh, basically things falling and how hard they hit, right? So they take a um, they take a, a PVC pipe 
that has a bunch of holes drilled in it. And you can put like a pencil or a dowel through those holes. And you put that pipe on top of a piece of foam with a nail in it. And then you put a ball in the pipe with, so you put, put the dowel through one of these holes at a certain height, like 40 centimeters above the ground. You put a ball in there and then you pull the dowel out and the ball falls and hits the nail and it drives it into the foam a certain distance. And you do that with different sized balls or different balls of different material at different heights. And you start to understand like, well, how, what, what determines how much uh, these nails can be driven into the foam? Like, well, it's the, it's the mass of the ball, right? And you don't say it that way, but how heavy the ball is, right? And then how high off the ground it is. So you start to understand something about, we're trying to understand something about these balls and that when you drop them from a height, they're gonna have something, which you and I know is potential energy, but we don't talk about it that way. And, and the, we try to avoid having the kids talk about it that way, because again, they don't understand what it means. But then you have a series of things like that where kids are doing experiments, they're collecting data, they're having experiences, and those things are designed to give them evidence um, to help improve their explanation. And so we would, as a teacher, try to cycle them back to those uh, initial, you know, ideas, those initial explanations and say, okay, now that we've collected this data in this, you know, experiment or this um, activity, how does that change our explanations? How does that change, you know, how we come back to this initial phenomenon and are, are we able to introduce new ideas, new concepts to this and take some concepts and ideas that we originally generated off the list. And so, so it's, it's trying to, you know, really, you know, narrow that field of, of what counts as an explanation or what counts as a plausible explanation in this, in this phenomenon for this phenomenon. Exactly. That's exactly right. And it, and again, this is, this is intentionally, it intentionally mimics science, right? So this is the way that science works. We have a big complex phenomenon that we can't investigate in total. So we pick a piece that we can develop an experiment or an investigation of, and then we investigate that piece and then we report that data out. And then what we do is we have lots of scientists who do lots of different pieces of that, right? Who investigate this phenomenon in different ways. And as we do that, we get a bigger picture of how these things work. And so that's really all we're doing. Like you say, they do this little investigation. They learn something about um, that the more mass and the higher off the ground something is, the more of this stuff uh, it has. So let's then we can go back to the original two balls and say, well, what does that tell us? We can we can find the mass of the two balls and they have basically the same mass and they're at the same height. So what does that tell us? Well, it tells us that when they hit the ground, they have the same amount of this stuff, right? but they behave really differently. So what does that mean? That means that something has to be happening. So we have a little bit of the puzzle, but we don't have all the puzzle. We don't know where, we don't know what's going on yet with these balls and why they're behaving differently, but we have a little bit more of an explanation. And then you continue to do, you know, then there's one where they do it with sort of a slingshot. So they basically use a meter stick and drive the nail using rubber bands and a meter stick to drive the nail. Um, and then they look at high speed video of the balls hitting the table so they can look at what happens, how they behave when they oh, hit cool. the table. And, you know, you, you build out different parts of the investigation so that kids can start to build out this explanation. And then the ultimate goal at the end is for them to really return after they've done four or five or whatever of these investigations really return to their initial explanation and completely sort of rewrite it based on the new evidence and data that they've collected and their new reasoning and make a nice, a more productive uh, and more, uh, you know, evidence-based explanation of the initial phenomenon. So, and this might be getting too far into the particulars of, of, of this unit, but do the students do this so every student does every activity or every group of students does every activity or are they doing these in like in sort of like in in a collaborative fashion where mm, like some groups are I investigating yeah. this and some groups are investigating this because you know I, I think in terms of you know modeling science you know there's more of a collaborative thing that would need to happen like hey i did this over here and this is the this is the activity we did and this is the thing mm. we learned from this 
And then this other group is doing this. So almost like having, you know, I don't know, four or five activities happening at the same time, rather than, you know, all of us going through. So I guess the question is, are we developing the unit and, and these lessons and activities based on all the students acquiring the same set of experiences so that they have this sort of like, I don't know, this getting the full picture of it, right? Mm -hmm. Or are we trying to model the sort of like conversation, the discourse that's happening? And that sometimes, hey, I'm bringing this to the table and I'm bringing this to the table because I could see, you know, really good rationale for both, right? Yeah, I think that's right. There's a good rationale for both. And I think you could, I think what it comes down to ultimately is logistics for teachers at that point, right? Like it's a lot harder to run five different activities with five different groups simultaneously than it is to have all the kids basically engaged in the same right. activity. But if you're a, if you're a teacher working in an environment where they don't have a lot of supplies and they're like, okay, I have a, one setup of this, then yeah. you're running five parallel activities, right? Five. Sure. And you could cycle them through those things. So right. like, okay, on day one. Yeah. And there's, like you say, there's arguments for both. I mean, one of the nice things about having all the kids do it is you can, you can pool data, right? So yeah. now it's not, so now that helps. And that's a, that's an authentic science practice too, right? Mm-hmm. And so part of it is like, <clears throat> if we're comparing it to science, like what what's the research group level versus the community level, right? right? So you could say like, well, every classroom is a research group and therefore everybody may be doing the same experiment because that happens in research groups all the time that we're all sort of investigating the same, the same experiment. And then, um, and then, or you could do it the other way, which is like the, the group in class is the research group. And so like you're saying, this group is investigating this thing, this group is investigating that thing. And then they're talking across to each other. I mean, I think in, for the most part, for kids, it's important for them to have these multiple experiences. So I guess I would sort of err on the side of everybody does everything, sure. um, not just for logistical reasons, but also so there's a set of shared experiences. It also helps when you're talking across groups, right? So if you're helping, if you're trying to get kids to reason um, together as a class, um, if they all have done the same set of experiments, then they have the same sort of grounding for for their discussion. So I think there's power in that too. So I don't know if we, we have time to do this or maybe we could put this into the next episode is how does, how does this end? Like, how does it like, how does a unit end? And do, do you think we have time to talk about that today or should we put a pin in it for a later episode? Yeah, I think we should put a pin in it. And I think, um, I think we should think about, yeah, both how do you end it and maybe even a little more detail still about the arc of this. Sure. And, and I could give some, you know, we could post in show notes sort of a description of one of these units. I mean, you could also look at a place like Open Syed, um, and see how they think about this stuff because that they posted curricula. I, you know, I haven't vetted all of their curricula. I've seen a, a bunch of them, but, um, and they use storyline as the way they describe their work. But I think, um, yeah, but I think we could definitely talk about, because I do hear what you're saying. And I think the finishing actually, obviously is really important because, because that's when you, you sort of close, yeah, close I, the I, unit. Yeah, because I don't envision that you go, okay, now we've done all this stuff. Let me give you the right answer. Right. I'm going to put the answer on the board. Right. Right. Now, because yeah. all that time we've just, we've been doing all of these activities leading up to, you know, my finish as a teacher and where I give you all of the right answers. Uh, yeah. Let me, let me put all the definitions for energy on the board for you. So kinetic right. energy is this, potential energy is this. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that shouldn't be how it ends. And, uh, yeah, that would be unfortunate. Well, that'll, that'll keep our listeners coming back for an episode or two, right? Yeah, the we'll dozens, tease the, them a little bit. The dozens of listeners. The dozens. So, do you, um, all right. So let's, let's, we'll pick up there in a later episode. So uh, joys for the week. Do we have a, uh, you have a joy? I have one. I have one for both of us. Actually a joy that, you know, for both of us. Okay. Then I want you to start. Well, I mean, I texted you this, you know, a, a few days ago, but uh, I was in a meeting recently. Um, I'm, I'm starting a new uh, project with uh, some folks out at the University of Wyoming, and I'm, I met someone there who we, I don't, I don't know them, and you, I didn't know them prior to this meeting, and you didn't, you don't know them either, and 
this this person i'll just call her allison and and allison is a listener and she's like hi and i introduced myself i'm like hey i'm i'm ollie and she's like hey i I listen to science in between and i was absolutely blown away because it's like i know they're you know our friends some friends are listening and i know some of our family are listening but to like have somebody who's like a complete like unknown person to me and to you yeah. and now we both figured out how they actually you know got became aware of the show through friends of friends um but it just was so wild to like have somebody uh and as i say, said to allison i said you just made my day and yeah. i it, and it's so cool because we do this and you know i enjoy hanging out with you scott and i enjoy this this last year together um but we're also trying to do this by you know that to, to have you know, to carry the conversation out to a broader audience and to have people. Mm-hmm. So it's not just you and I, you know, hanging out each week, which is what we do. Right. But, right. Or, but also to, you know, you know, to have the, the, the conversation beyond us. And, and it's cool when that happens and that somebody finds value in it. And it, it just blows me away that anybody besides our friends and family are listening. So Allison, thanks for making my day. And, you know, you were, you, you were the joy. You're the joy this yeah. week. Yeah. And maybe that's enough. Maybe that's, that's how we, you know, we could, we could maybe broaden it and say, um, you know, as maybe we're getting melancholy here as we get to our penultimate uh, episode for, for season one, but, you know, maybe that, maybe that we just say that as a general joy that we just appreciate that people do listen to the show and, and, and that, you know, some of those folks actually tell us that they listen, which makes us happy. Right. You know, it's, I mean, it's nice to go in and see, Oh, like 30 people have downloaded the podcast. But when one of those 30 people actually says, Hey, I actually listened to it and you don't sound like complete idiots all the time. Right. And, yeah. and, and I, I occasionally even enjoy listening to you speak. So, um, about this stuff. So I think, I think we could probably just say the joy, uh, for this week is our listeners. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's a good way to end episode 51. So, yeah. Hey, thank, thanks for listening. And thanks for being here with us. And, you know, if you've listened to all 51, more power to you. Thanks for being here. <laughs> yeah, boy, as we say, maybe consider a hobby of another kind. But uh, but yeah, we're we're impressed with your fortitude, if nothing yes. else. Yeah, yeah, because what we you and I have uh, have not listened to all 51 episodes. <laughs> well, as we've you been here for that. Time, we've been we've been present for them. Yes. But we may not have been listening, but we were present. Yeah. So thanks, Allison. And to all the other people who are listening, thank you. Thanks for being here. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll catch you next time. In between. See you then. Bye. Bye.